0: Alright, all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all to episode 123 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is naturally the Sesame Street episode of the SLS Cast, because... The, uh, the the number for Sesame Street, after the rebranding from Children's Television Workshop to Sesame Workshop, is one two three. That's right. It's one two three above Sesame Street. Used to say CTW, but now it says one two three. And with that little bit of Sesame Street trivia for you, I of course, am Matt my own personal Oscar the Grouch, and coming to us from the sacred Sony library, defending the company dictionary, which claims the
1: invention of the word pocketable, is of course. Tim, what is the definition of pocketable?
0: No, 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 no. Invention of the word pocketable. Invention of the word pocketable? Yes, uh, it is claimed... By uh, by its company history, that pocketable was a word invented by a Sony employee for for pocket radios. Yes.
1: Oh, okay. They're pocketable. Oh well, I'm learning more about my company every single week, Matthew. Thank you. I'm here to help, (laughs) not to hurt. That's my motto. I know, right? Yeah. So, how are you doing since the last time we spoke? Since all those like, many hours ago.
0: ago. I know, I know Here right? Here we are. We're on the 9th uh, of April. I am uh, doing very well. I am extremely excited. Um, the reason why we're having to do all this uh, functified show material where we're not having a third segment and everything. We'll be back to normal uh, for our next episode. Um, is because I am going off to Disney World yet again. So it's like an annual pilgrimage or something at this point. But uh, it's time for my middle daughter to get her um, trip to Disney, courtesy of granddaddy. That's the only reason we're doing it. Uh, He he likes to spoil the grandkids rotten. So after they turn five and before they start kindergarten, um,
1: he takes the grandkids to Disney World. That is the coolest freaking grandfather? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're telling me. <laughs> Wait, is he the conservative one? Um,
0: well, I mean, I would say that he is definitely a fiscal hawk, but he is um, shockingly not as conservative as I thought growing up. Uh, we have definitely had our discussions where we go toe to toe about certain things, and and the only thing, especially over the last couple of years, is I found his more more and more of his views that we clash about. Um, I thought for sure he would be like with me on the Edward Snowden thing, and oh no, boy, he thinks Edward Snowden is a traitor and everything else, and um, I'm like, I can't. What? What? He exposed what our government was doing to us and is like, it doesn't matter. He took an oath and I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh you know, Oh, I'm, he's I'm, a man of his word. I guess. He's I mean, one I'm, of those like, guys. I'm pretty sure that the stupid oath is from enemies foreign and domestic. But that's just me. <laughs> so <laughs> at any rate though. So yeah, he um Hey, the we United still agree States on government
1: why. is neither foreign nor domestic. <laughs> yeah. It's all encompassing. Exactly. It's foreign yeah, it's
0: it's it's all of it. But no. Uh so so he he is definitely um uh a little more liberal. But even then, apparently I'm liberal now, so there there's
1: that. Um <laughs> you know for- We need to have your like liberal quincinera or something. <laughs>
0: No, I just, I don't know. So we still agree on a whole lot. It's just, uh, there are areas where I thought for sure we would agree on both sides of things. Uh, where on the left sides of things and on the right sides of things that we still are just completely flopped around on. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. But no, my, uh, my mom and my, uh, stepdad are definitely the, um, the Fox News people, um, religiously Fox News, um, where I don't watch any cable, so I go to the internet and look up information. <laughs> <Supposedly>. Glenn <Beck. laughs> Dot com. Yeah, no, no, not there. <laughs> not not there. No, we. That's actually that was like the only thing we could ever really and truly agree on. Didn't we like name an episode we both agree on, Glenn Beck or something?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, we that's did. what it's called. We both agree on Glenn Beck. That's right,
0: because he's like a crazy person (sighs) he's a rich ass crazy person but he's he is
1: if you will openly admit that you're gonna open up your own like neighborhood or build your own like fortified neighborhood and call it a citadel or the (laughs) citadel (laughs) what you have a problem
0: I, i did not hear about this one i remember the like he was trying to do kind of like his own conservative version of like disney world or something but I, I do not.
1: I, when did this? When did this happen? This is from like a couple years ago. He's oh, ta- He wow. kept talking him all the these other um, very far right wing, right wing conservatives. They were all talking about getting together and building this this huge town that any any Republican can go to and live in. So there, w- it'll be surrounded by a moat. John Stewart did a couple really good episodes, kind of like bashing it. You and- got to give him credit for. It. That's a pretty badass name, though. Where the are you going citadel. to? I must return to the Citadel. Yeah, he so. just opened up any book based <laughs> based in medieval times and he like i am got to pick that one. But uh yeah, you, you, do you know where he lives? I just found this out a few months ago. He actually uh, lives, lives in, in Dallas. Oh, that's
0: right. He did move to Dallas. That's right. After the whole uh he he was in New York for a while and then I remember um that he had moved to Connecticut or something and then yeah he he did say uh, i might not he whatever i'm sure he did but my brother and sister-in-law when they were still listening to him um had mentioned that he had moved to Dallas or whatever so we need to go to his house we need to like record an episode like in front of his house not on his property cuz we're not stalkers or anything but like you know like in front of the property line that's what should be what we should do the next time you come in just you know
1: take it. <laughs> deal yeah we we will do that we will we will spend an entire day searching for glenbeck's house <laughs> bring a couple fold out chairs have a little margarita machine and
0: and just sit down we only need an hour and a half i mean it's not like we need you know maybe we could just do like one segment that could be like the bonus segment what we talked about in front of Glenn Beck's house <laughs> 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 <sighs> oh. <sighs> I'm
1: not the only one with travel plans. Where are you going, Ming? I am going to Seattle, the land of no laws. Because if we remember the last time Tim went to Seattle, he went <laughs> to some very sexy coffee shops. Questionable, questionable <laughs> coffee being made. Yeah, so, I mean, I suppose yeah. as long as everything
0: was above the counter, then you're in good shape at this coffee shop. Unless you want milk in your coffee.
1: Yeah, but you, you never really know where the from. where the coffee is being filtered out of. Yeah, mm. yeah. Do you want it between the cheeks or <laughs> where? Where do you want the grounds to sit?
0: I just want to know if the if if those coffee filters are getting any form or fashion of double duty. That's what I. That's what I want to know.
1: I want the maxi pads <laughs> of of coffee filters, only for my coffee. I want the best. God damn it! Uh coffee by Kotex. All
0: right. Mm. Yeah, The best. And
1: that's not disgusting at all. So, I
0: know. Yeah. Uh. All right. Well, should we go ahead and get right down to the fun stuff? Sure. But I have a, oh, a yeah, bit of news right. of the you had, weird. You did. You, you told me. I, I forgot. Go ahead, sir. Lay really it on quick. Me. What do you got? What do you got? Um,
1: it's not going to last too long, but it's uh, it's interesting. This is from, what date is it? March 30th. And it is from DailyMail.co.uk. And the the title of this article is, quote, It went on for two or three fucking years, end quote. Russell Crowe reveals late pop star Michael Jackson used to prank call him all the time, despite the fact the pair had never met. (laughs) And it says this. Russell Crowe has revealed that for years, he was on the receiving end of multiple prank calls from the late pop star, Michael Jackson. Speaking to the Guardian website, Russell revealed the nuisance calls went on for, quote, two or three fucking years, end quote. The actor explained he had never met the pop star and had never shaken his hand, but that Michael had somehow discovered which hotels he was staying in and the name he was registered under. He revealed the singer would prank call him continuously. In giving an example of the kind of jokes the star would start out with, Russell recounted, quote, Is Mr Wall there? Is Mr. Wall there? Are there any walls there? Then what's holding the roof up? Ha 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 You're not but you gotta say it like,
0: are there any walls there? Then then what's holding the roof up? Hee <laughs> hee.
1: Is Mr. Wall there? Is Miss Wall there? Are there any walls there? Then what's holding the roof up?
0: Now uh-huh. you just sound like the pervert guy from Family Guy. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I do. Whenever I try to like, try like... Try to depict Michael Jackson. Mm. I do sound like a southern gentleman pervert. For sure. Uh, he added jokingly... <laughs> he thought people were supposed to grow out of making nuisance calls... Russell was celebrating on a previous admission he had made about the strange calls from the former King of Pop, who passed away in 2009 as he made mention to them before during an interview with The Sun in 2013. And, uh, and you know, there's more to that, you know. Actually, no, this is kind of funny. <laughs> He's, uh, Russell Crowe said, quote, I'd ask, who is this? And he'd say, do not worry, Russell. Just kidding. This is Michael. And then he would hang up. (laughs) Nice. Nice. It's me, Michael.
0: All right. Well, I have um, something that I have in terms of not news of the weird, but just bonus because it's not news news. We have an email like a real live legit email not even a not even just a twitter mention or anything like that this is a straight up legit email
1: emails are coming that's
0: right yeah you can definitely send us the show at slscast.com what's up um we got it from uh, our, our one of our twitter followers and a fan of our show diana uh, and Diana, of course, is also a friend of Midnight Movie Nights and Johnny White Trash, and that's how we, um, acquired her as a fan, thankfully, to all of our other podcast friends. But she says this, the subject, fast and furious movies. This actually came in today, this morning at 950. So look at us getting, getting actual emails in time for the show says hi guys wanted to drop you a line so you could say you got fan mail and let you know i enjoyed your reviews of the uh, fast and furious movies i'm new to the franchise and just watched the original and fast and furious 6 going to see furious 7 tomorrow so listening to your pod on my commute home was very relatable and fun I'm amazed I enjoy these movies, and you guys guys made me realize why. I'm right there with you. The -the over-the-top ridiculousness of it all is very entertaining. The last bit about the no-traffic alternative title was pure gold. Keep up the good work. Your fabulous fan, Diana Weeks. So, Diana, thank you very, very much for the email. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, clearly our comedic genius... Um, which was really all Tim that time. He's the one who discovered the whole. No <laughs> that thing. time,
1: I like how you threw that in. It was well, actually hey, Tim. I, I'm not going to steal your thunder, sir. <laughs> I'm not. Gonna,
0: I'm not going to be the traffic in
1: your. Don't no worry. That's the scenario. only time. That'll be the only time I'm ever going to be funny.
0: But thank you so very much. And seriously, though, please feel free to send us an email to the show at slscast.com and uh, we would love to hear from you. So, with that, are we now ready? Or send us gifts.
1: Send us gifts at 123 SLScast (laughs) (laughs) Manor. Care of (laughs) Glenbeck. Can can we start? (laughs) <laughs> can we start giving out his address and just saying it's the sls cast address <laughs> so, I'm pretty sure so he's getting all this shit like what the fuck the know, amount the of money
0: that that man has would probably um lead to extreme lawsuits and stuff so i'm just no no let's let's not let's not let's not do that let's not even joke about that <sighs> anyway so are we ready for the news for, for real most definitely. Alright, here we fo here we fox. Wow, that's just amazing. I am Tim, you are rubbing off on me, sir. Here we go, folks. It is the news. <laughs> First up from me, from HollywoodReporter.com, courtesy of uh, a courtesy of Rebecca Ford and Boris Kitt, blah, blah, I can talk. Promisely, um, Fast Eight, nowhere near starting line. Uh, it says that this story first appeared in the April twenty-four uh, issue of the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, so I guess maybe it meant March 24th, because this is from April 8th, so yesterday I'm not sure where that, maybe it's coming out in the next issue I, whatever, uh, it says here can Universal keep the family together Furious 7's $392.3 million worldwide Bow has made an 8th film in the racing saga a near certainty but significant speed bumps exist, quote Honestly, we're just bathing in the success of this, end quote, producer Neil Moritz tells THR, quote, we'll probably get together in a week or so to talk, end quote. Universal chairman Donna Langley said in 2014 that the studio would like to make 10 films, and according to multiple sources, that remains the plan. But no writer has been hired for the next outing, not that the lack of a script has held back the franchise before. The film tends to be designed backward. After a release date is set, producer star Vin Diesel, 47, considered... The Keeper of the Flame works with scribe Chris Morgan, Moritz, and a director to hash out a story, coming up with elaborate set pieces, then fleshing out a narrative to connect the sequences. Um, It goes on to discuss the fact that the director's chair is currently vacant. Um, It's not to say that uh, James Wan won't be able to come back, but after the shoot that was done for Furious 7... um, he was let out of his contract to go and do other things,
1: but the other things that he's doing. Yeah. The con the conjuring too. I know that he's working on that.
0: Right. Um, and that's set to shoot in October, according to the article as well, but he, he could um, end up being done with that in time to come back and film some more. So um, I don't know. What what do you think, sir? I, I, I mean, I'm pretty certain there's going to be more of them, but does it have to be today? I mean, do we don't need to know what's happening today. Let's, let's let this thing go. At least let's get it through the Blu-ray cycle,
1: right? Yeah, no kidding. Let's give it another two or three years. Because uh, I'd rather them not hash out a script. I, I, I would really want them to actually sit down and think about it. Because as what we talked about last week, I kind of felt like they were rehashing the same kind of story, you know, uh well, maybe not necessarily the whole the the, the, the whole all around plot, but definitely the character plots, the character stories through the course of three different movies. And I really don't want them to continue to do that because that really hurts the movie. And it would be nice to see these movies have great action and a really good script.
0: I agree, I agree. And they also, there there are, and I, I'm looking here towards the end of the article, um, and again, hollywoodreporter.com, so feel free to go through and read all the details yourself. But they also look like they, um, most of the ensemble cast seem to have run through their options, and Dwayne Johnson is actually on a film-by-film basis. So it might not even, now there's even questions about the cast. So forget the fact that there's not even a story, or a director. <laughs> Or may not be the same cast. And, and if there is a and if there is a movie franchise that can come back from that, this is that. This is that because they've already proven that they can.
1: So uh yeah. Interesting. All right, sir, what do you got for us? First up, I have a couple, I guess, movie project updates. First one pertaining to the Incredible sequel, uh Brad Bird is set or actually he is currently working on the script for the sequel. Uh, No word yet on if he's going to direct or not. I know Matt was talking about either last week or the week before that the movie is already scheduled to come out in the coming next couple years or so. Also, we're looking at a movie rendition of the popular computer game Five Nights at Freddy's, that is right. For those of you who are not familiar with Fry, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, it takes place in, I, I guess, something that could be compared to a Chuck E. Cheese where kids go for their birthday parties and they have the animatronic uh, life size animals, you know, behind the curtain. The curtain opens up and they're in a band and they perform and whatnot. Well, at night, these animals come alive and they're on the hunt for blood human blood so in the game you're a security guard and you have to survive five nights in this freddy's whatever it's called this chucky e. cheese type of place and they're going to be making a movie out of it now what's interesting about the game is that the game really isn't violent it's not graphic it's scary as hell but it's not graphic so it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do with the movie rendition Uh, Another remake that's in the works is the She's All That remake. Yes, that is right. The classic, well, semi-classic, maybe a nostalgic classic, 1999 teen romantic comedy. That one is a surprise for me because it's 1999. It's not that long ago. And then finally, a sequel to Need for Speed. That is more of a surprise because that movie only made forty some odd million dollars forty three million dollars in the US. However, worldwide that movie took in two hundred million dollars. But according to variety here, they say, quote, much of Need for Speed Two would be filmed in China, with the nation's actors also taking significant roles. According to announcement of the new arrangement by Joint Venture Partners China Movie Channel Program Center, Gia Flix, Enterprises in 1905 Pictures, along with Electronic Arts, creator of the Need for Speed video game, and all quotes. So, I'm not expecting Aaron Paul to reprise his role. Finally, what I really wanted to talk about here is uh, the evolution of movie theater. Some time ago, I was talking about the 4D Movie theaters, Uh, there are a couple of them in the U.S. now. One of them is actually here in L.A., at L.A. Live. It's where you, it's kind of like a movie ride. You know, you pay the extra fee, you sit in your chair, um, you move around, you know, uh, like fans kick on, you know, and some fan blows in your face, like if you're flying, if, you know, you're watching a movie and you're flying, or or the characters are flying around in the sky or whatever. Um, They even have this one effect where water squirts at you or if somebody gets stabbed in the back, you feel like a little pressure on your back so you can actually feel the person getting stabbed, which is kind of weird. Well, if that wasn't enough for you movie buffs slash adrenaline junkies, 4DX is on the horizon. From Variety.com, 4DX adds rainstorm, snow, warm air effects. That is right. All that stuff. So now you can experience Mount Everest while watching Mount Everest. You can experience the perfect storm while you're watching the perfect storm. And you can experience the Sahara Desert as you're watching Lawrence of Arabia. But this article says this, written by Brent Lang, quote, Movie theaters are in for some very stormy weather now that CJ4D Plex is rolling out its three newest effects snow, rainstorm, and warm air. The inclement weather simulations will be shared with the public for the first time at CinemaCon. The new additions join 40X's catalog of standard effects, which include motion, water, fog, wind, air, lightning, bubbles, ticklers, sense, and vibration. Which they probably ought to split up, ticklers, sense, and vibration. ...within that sentence there, because it kind of gives it a totally different meaning if uh, you're just now listening to this article I'm reading. The idea of 4D theaters, which remains more popular in foreign countries than in the U.S., is to heighten the theatrical experience by pumping auditoriums with effects that mirror the on-screen action... C.J. 4D Plex says that the new effects will create a more immersive experience for any on-screen floods, explosions, earthquakes, tornadoes, and fires. It also arrives just in time for a summer movie slate that includes disaster-like films, San Andreas, and apocalyptic adventures such as Mad Max Fury Road, both of which will be screened by the company. End all quotes. Matt With the addition of rainstorm effects and snow effects and warm air effects, will that make you want to experience 4DX?
0: I don't know. (laughs) I really don't. I mean, it sounds interesting, it sounds cool, but here I am just trying to enjoy my popcorn and now it's cold and soggy. Oh, but look, now here comes a desert storm because this is a Michael Bay movie. And now look, it's dry again. So I don't know. Well then, last but not least for me, comes to us from EmpireOnline.com, courtesy of Chris Hewitt. Exclusive, Brian Singer confirms Ben Hardy is Angel in X-Men Apocalypse. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's official. Brian Singer has confirmed exclusively to Empire that Angel will be in X-Men Apocalypse and that he'll be played by Ben Hardy. Hardy, a former East Enders star, was cast a while back, but his character name was withheld. But as the latest X-Men movie gets closer to production in Montreal, specul- speculation has abounded for weeks that he would be playing Angel, a winged mutant who, has, who was one of the original X-Men. So Empire got on the phone with Singer and asked him for confirmation. Quote, Ben Hardy is Angel. I shall confirm it for you. Quote, but he's not a very nice angel, and that's all I'll say. End all quotes there. So the the article is really cool. You should definitely check it out. There's uh, some custom uh, concept art for Angel here, and again, this is all exclusive for Empire online. So d- definitely go check that out. But um, what do you think, Tim? Is this uh, was this a surprise for you? Are you excited and happy? Nothing. Who's
1: Angel? He's one of the first <laughs> X Men. Yeah, no, I, um, sure, yeah. I'm, I guess, indifferent.
0: In, in so <laughs> well, I'm not too sure go.
1: exactly what or who he is. I don't even know what the stories are, to be honest.
0: He, okay, well, this is a guy who is, uh, I'm pretty sure he was actually in X Men Last Stand, but since all that apparently has been retconned out, um, it doesn't really matter, but he's he's basically going to be um, someone who possibly could be transformed into a different character. So, that's all I'll say there. So, go ahead, sir. That was all my news. What do you got to
1: finish us off there? All righty. From QZ.com, which I guess that means Quartz, an article here entitled, Google Wants to Save Us from Spoilers on Social Media. And it says this, quote, I'm starting a little bit uh, further down here in this article. Quote, In a new patent awarded to the search giant today, Google outlines a system for blocking out posts pertaining to TV shows, books, and movies so that you don't see information on stories before you're ready to. The patent suggests users would track their progress with content on social network. Think of how Netflix currently posts posts. What if it's content you're watching on your Facebook feed if you like those accounts? And Google's system would be able to determine when another user was posting something about that same piece of content, and if they were posting about a part you hadn't reached yet. If the system thinks that the post contains a spoiler, it will blur out the content, pop up a warning message, and ask the user if they want to read the post. Users could also flag if something they were posting has spoilers in it, if they were feeling benevolent. It's unclear whether Google would want to integrate this system with popular social media sites like Facebook or Twitter, or its own crumbling social network, or how the company would go about overlaying the system on a social network it does not own. It would come as a welcome addition to the web, however, as the number of people cutting the cord with cable companies continues to rise, and more people are watching content when they can fit it into their schedule rather than live. Asked whether the company really intended to create this product, a Google representative told Quartz that some ideas, quote, mature into real products or services, some don't. End quote. Perhaps Google didn't want to give away any spoilers. End all quotes. I think this is pretty cool. People like to spoil shit. People don't understand how not to spoil shit, I I think. And I cannot tell you how many movie articles, just how many articles I've read, uh, especially pertaining to either Star Wars or The Avengers, just really any superhero, they include these little clues or hints that ruin th- stuff for people that are not familiar with the comic book or the story or the mythos or whatever so this is kind of nice because i really i think it's only going to get worse to be honest what do you think matt do you think this is a neat addition to you know keep spoilers at bay or
0: well sure i mean aside from the technological stumbling blocks that may be in place sure i think if there are people who for instance myself uh as someone who is always perusing the web all over the place on reddit a lot of times uh, i still will occasionally glance at facebook and everything of course um i don't want to see any trailers for star wars force awakens and i don't want to see any more stuff on age of ultron uh, or any other big movie that i'm really looking or uh, like specter and stuff like that i don't want to see anything else if i happen to see something when i'm at a movie theater well then fine but i'm not going out of my way and whenever i see that i immediately try to scroll past it because i want the experience to be fun and as fresh as possible Especially in a day and age where we have this disturbing trend of the entire movie in the trailer. So I think that it would probably be possible. You probably could just enter in keywords or certain movies or whatever. And whenever that stuff would come up, potentially in any of your feeds, well, your iPhone can catch those words and, or, or your Android or whatever you're going to do. It sounds like Apple's up on this first. but And then there's block it. So I think that's great. If you don't want the spoilers, or the potential spoilers, then you should be able to browse
1: safely. Agreed wholeheartedly.
0: Okie dokie. Well then, that does conclude the news. And as I said again, we don't have any bonus segment uh for this week. Next week, though, we do bring back our segment three. We're going to be doing Three Squared, our favorite underrated actor or actress. And we are choosing three movies that best represent them. So there you go. And with that, folks, it brings us to... (laughs) The (laughs)
1: Movie... All
0: right, so this week's movies are... Force, M'dieu, Dear White People, and Elaine Stritch, Shoot Me. Where do you want to start first, sir? Elaine Stritch, shoot me. (laughs) All right. This here is a 2013 documentary, uh, and it is, I, I was asking Tim for a little bit of guidance with this, because I didn't want to necessarily be overly critical if I had missed the point of something. Here, So I was talking over with him, and and I think he kind of agreed with my point of view. Uh, I don't know that he's going to necessarily agree with the same review or anything, because we didn't get that far into the conversation, obviously. Um, It's a documentary. But I think that it's a documentary that, while extremely entertaining and thoroughly enjoyable, doesn't know exactly what kind of documentary it wants to be. It's part day in the life. It's part following the twilight of career. And it's part biographical. And it's also part um, career biography, if you will. Or filmography or stage, history of stage work and, and everything. And in an effort to mash those things together it's rather disjointed in certain in certain ways and it will also much like elaine stritch and i think maybe that's what they were going for was they were trying to do all of these things in kind of a broad in a broad stroke kind of a you know the life and times of they were trying to be much like Elaine Stritch, who is somewhat unpredictable, um, or was. Unfortunately, she did pass away in 2014. Uh, as I said, again, this film came out in 2013, and it was shocking, shocking, I say, to see James Gandolfini, uh, whom, of course, this film was dedicated to because he did pass away right before the movie came out. Um, so much like Elaine Stritch, who is extremely quick-witted and very blunt and in certain ways can seemingly be like all over the place all at once so too follows this documentary and again the only thing that suffers for me is that i never really got a clear indication of what exactly this documentary was uh, trying to be however Sometimes that's just okay. And this is one of those few times where that's really okay. Because Elaine Stritch is so entertaining. And the people who are interviewed are not just there because they were asked. It is is very clear that these are people who are there because they want to be. And it's just wonderful to watch. And someone who is just so real and all cards are always on the table and just and you just get that vibe and i sat there watching this and i'm like man i i wish i had an known her. I, I truly wish i could have known her i feel like i missed out and i think that's a good feeling to get from this documentary so all in all i'm gonna go ahead and, i was gonna put this at four stars but by god i enjoyed it so much i'm gonna give it 4.25 I really feel that the, that the detraction of not really getting a, a solid feel for the documentary itself is something that hurts it a little bit, but it's so entertaining. Otherwise, you're just going to sit there and watch it no matter what, and you will
1: have a good time. 4.25, sir. So take it away. There's not too much I can really say about this movie other than highly recommending it. But this movie, as what Matt mentioned, uh, it follows a hilarious actress, singer and a very funny woman during her twilight years. And you get to watch her go about her life for a little bit of time, you know, just a really short period of time during this documentary. But during that period of time, you, you get to experience her, I should say. Like, you get to experience and see why all these other people love her and yet she is she's in her 80s she's i think during the movie it's she's 86 87 years old and yet she has fantastic legs <laughs> she's funny as hell quick-witted but you're also watching her age and seeing her go through I, I guess diabetes and and watching her kind of overcome all that stuff as well and at the same time her her outlook, her or her mythos on life and death, is inspiring and and very entertaining, and it was refreshing to watch. It was nice to watch. Uh, she it was a very unique woman. Now, I mean, I was thinking about it while Matt was giving his review, and I think this movie is about something. Uh, I mean, it's about a woman. It's about uh, a, a, an aged entertainer, who can still entertain. I mean, how many people can do that at her age? I mean, I love Mel Brooks, but I don't think I can see Mel Brooks uh, do stand-up comedy for an hour or an hour and a half or whatever. But she could. (laughs) I mean, yeah, she might forget her lines, but hell, she's hilarious when she does and she knows how to bounce back from, uh, from forgetting stuff. And that's what the movie was about, and I appreciated it. Also, the, the short uh, length as well, and that helped out the movie a great deal. So I give this movie five stars. I b- highly recommend it. All right, sir. Where do you want to go from here? How about Force Majeure?
0: All righty, Force Majeure. Uh, 2014 Swedish drama film. And Okay, now this is a very, very interesting film. It takes place on a mountain. And it's a week in the life of a Swedish family. There's at this nice luxurious resort and they're in the Alps, uh, the French Alps, not the Swiss Alps. And, uh, they're having a lovely time and enjoying life and living it up when all of a sudden an avalanche occurs. Now this is a controlled avalanche, but unfortunately, um, just like in, in, in real life, the biggest mistake humans make is thinking we can control nature. So naturally this thing gets out of control and, the family is staring this avalanche kind of coming down at them. And dad um, freaks out and runs away <laughs> and he leaves wife and kids <laughs> there. Now he comes to his senses, obviously, you know, like, Oh dear God, what the hell have I done? And so he goes back and thankfully everything was fine. A little, you know, scared, but none the worse for wear yet. The kids who are just kind of in shock and like, whoa, what the hell happened? Mom, however, is like, what the actual fuck? Did you just leave us? And so compounding this problem is dad's ability to kind of ignore what he just did. He kind of compartmentalizes. And this is like a serious issue. So mom is upset. And it's causing like this big, huge fight. So they've run into some friends, and the friends are kind of like trying to help the, this married couple patch things up. But all of the shit that happens and subsequently comes up from this causes friction there too. And then it kind of goes and plays out from there to kind of see how things happen or what have you. Now, don't want to go too much further than that because you know trying to be as spoiler free as i can now this film for me is excellently acted i thought it was very very well uh, acted now and of course you're you're you know beautiful mountainous and everything so the cinematography is of course a win very simple picturesque and everything like that um the problem that I have with this movie, and it's a big problem, is the payoff. It is it is basically everything has, is leading up to one critical juncture. And when that critical juncture happens, um you instead of being left with a resolution, you're it's like you're being Almost led into a bait and switch, because you get this one thing, and it's, and I tell you, I think the best person is the person who played Ebba, the mother, uh, Lisa Lovin, uh, Kongsley, I believe is how you're gonna say that name. And I apologize if I messed that up. I think she's definitely, for me, my favorite character. I, I think the gentleman who plays the dad, uh, Thomas, uh, Johannes Bach Kunke, um, He does an excellent job as well. But you see this kind of shift happen in Ebba's character at the big critical juncture. And so you feel like the movie is going to complete its journey in a certain way, and then you're kind of dumped with this thought-provoking ending. And the trouble with a thought-provoking ending is that it has to provoke thought, otherwise you're kind of left going. Well, what now? You, and I, I know we've talked about this before. Um, was it was it in our very first episode, the Robert De Niro movie, uh, Stone? Right? Was that the name of it, Tim?
1: Yeah, with him and Ed Norton. Yeah, and, Ed Norton yeah. and
0: Mia. Jo- okay. Instead of having a an actual pronounced ending to this story you're kind of dropped in and then you're just kind of picked up and pulled away and you you can't do that without a clear definition even if you're trying to make it thought-provoking do you agree what would you do how would you have reacted um is what you saw you know accurate to you those kinds of things to make create a thought-provoking ending can be done with something definitive, not with a drop in and drop out kind of a thing, um, because you don't get that sense of resolution that that you would have if they had let it go at this critical juncture. Outside of that, it's a great movie. I really liked it, but because of the way that it ends in the last third of the movie, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna land on this one at four stars. Really liked it, but the
1: ending needed a lot of work for me. There you go. What do you got, sir? Yeah, I agree with most of that for sure. And I forgot if you mentioned this or or not, but the entire movie takes place at a ski resort in France, right? It's France that they're all at, right? They are staying at a luxury resort in the French Alps. Right. And so you have beautiful scenery everywhere, and by God, do you see a lot of it. And you see the scenery, and then there's a little bit of dialogue. And there's a whole lot of scenery, and then there's a little bit of dialogue. And then maybe some action happens. Maybe it's not going to happen. And then the story actually kind of, you know, like, like, like the, the conflict uh, kicks in. And then the movie goes back to a lot of scenery, a little bit of dialogue... A lot of scenery, a little bit of dialogue, and then the next element of the story kicks in. And then it gets you know a little bit better from there on. And so I get what the filmmakers were trying to do. At least I think I, I, I get what the filmmakers were trying to do uh, by showing the contrast of the beautiful scenery. You know, this beautiful uh, uh, ski lodge resort. Uh, and and they're showing the contrast of that with the family drama. But, damn, the film would have been so much better. It would have benefited with editing and additional shots of the actors. Because there's a lot of, like, not far away shots, but there's a lot of, like, full body shots of the actors with the scenery behind them. And they're chatting and the camera doesn't move. So, it it's not a very exciting movie not saying the movie has to be exciting but there's nothing i mean there's only so far you know just looking at beautiful scenery will elevate the story i mean once you have the opening shot like the opening you know five minutes or so you're seeing all the scenery oh wow that's beautiful you kind of get used to it so you need a little bit more to back all that stuff up because we can't forget the main action the story is about you know this husband and wife not about the scenery and so it just kind of felt like the scenery was uh, upstaging the main action. I too thought it was great acting uh, all the way around, but especially the wife. I thought she was really good, especially during her kind of impulsive monologue when her, when the, the two friends come uh, and hang out and they're all sitting around the table drinking wine and she just busts out, not really into tears, but kind of has that like hysteric monologue. Really good, one of the best parts of the film, for sure. So, great acting, the setting was beautiful, perfect place to do it, and I thought the story was a very intriguing story. Uh, And quite inventive, I should say. But again, the movie just takes a little while to get to the next thing. It takes a little while to get to the conflict, which again, if done right, that is not an issue whatsoever. With this movie, it just... Takes a little while. And then after the conflict happens, there's a lot of stuff. And then it gets to the next thing, and then it just kind of goes on from there. Which makes this movie overlong. The movie is about, uh, I think, an hour and 40, hour and 50-something minutes. This movie easily could have been an hour and a half. And still would have been great. Even better, for sure. Matt gave uh, gave this one 4. I'm going to have to give this one 3.5 stars, I guess one thing to look forward to is the American Remake. So we'll see where that one goes. Fair enough. All right. Well, then that's going to leave us, last but
0: not least, with Dear White People. 2014 satirical comedy drama film written and directed by Justin Simon. Or Simien, Uh Or Simien. Ah, There we go. I can read. Um, this is a film that focuses on on kind of a... Black culture, but also black and somewhat white counterculture. And the idea, and and tries to reconnoiter the ideas that make up these different cultures and how they are forced to interact with each other. Um, And a lot of times how they are not allowed, um, any of these cultures are not allowed to grow organically together. It's a story about a young lady by the name of Sam White. Um, She's mixed race film production major uh, at a fictional university. And it's, you know, think Ivy League, basically. She ends up becoming um, head of a frat house and taking and and she does this by becoming a, a very well. What's the word I'm looking for? Controversial. That's there we go. Uh, controversial radio show. Now, upon her getting there, she's she is now not only is she entrenched in this culture war in on, on of her own doing but now she's seeing a different subset of her own culture that causes problems and conflicts in and of itself and it's kind of just a, a series I don't want to say of running gags but it's it's like biting satire it's like just constant biting satire in in different forms that that culminates in a basically a blackface theme for some white students. Now, as we all know, you don't do that. However, the mindset of where they were coming from leads to some independent thought. Are things done, do they become inherently racist when they're done by white people? Or are black people exempt from racism? Are, you know, can these are just some of the few questions that come up and they they discuss them or they drop them, again, like biting satire. But much like a bite, it doesn't heal right away and you don't maybe understand why you have been bitten because sometimes you do get bit even though you were doing everything right. And so these questions don't, don't really get answered. And while I think that overall... It leads to some very interesting dialogue and some really creative performances. I, I think you're you're left wondering: Is this? How can this film be more than the sum of its parts? And for me, I I, I struggle with that, and I still struggle with that. I think it's a good movie, and I think you should see it, but I don't think it's. I don't think it, it is that it is quite the amazing social commentary that everybody uh, that a lot of the people who are praising it laud it for I think it's good and I think the satire is necessary but I think that it could have been played out in a different way that it still could have been biting it still could have been funny it still could have had its seriousness but instead of just repeatedly being all over the map with all of these different things and never answering anything, perhaps maybe there could have been some kind of common ground, even if not a solution, but some kind of real common ground found for all sides. Because at the end of the day, without it, how are you supposed to have any hope that the situation gets any better? So because of that... I give this one 3.25. I like the movie, and I think you should watch it. But I think it's got... I think its message um, is too all over the place
1: and gets diluted uh, up and against itself. There you go, sir. Bring us home. Yeah, I'm, again, right there with you as well. Um, This movie is supposed to be a satire, which works, and it hits its mark uh, at various moments throughout the movie. And... What I thought was was interesting at times was that the satire wasn't supposed to be strictly based upon like white racism, but black racist. Not well, they make it a point that the African Americans cannot be racist; they can be prejudiced, and so there are various moments where they definitely uh, play off of uh, black prejudices as well, which I thought was very interesting. And I was doing a little bit of research after the movie because I had a couple, I had some issues with it, which I'll get to in a second. And so I was reading an interview with the director and he was saying that this movie isn't a satire really on, it's not about racism. It's not about white racism or black racism or anything, but it's about individuality, uh, which encompasses all races. So... I thought that was kind of interesting, but however, it made me more so confused because this movie is claims to be playing both sides of the table, yet it seems to be very heavy handed towards one direction. And uh, it, I mean, I don't, I don't know, Matt. Do you do you feel like that was the case also, like? They touched on various aspects, you know, like kind of making fun of both sides, you know, of the situation. But they did become, I mean, they were very kind of more, I'm not saying there was an agenda or anything, but they were definitely leaning one particular way.
0: Sure. And again, though, and this is is where I think, this is one of the reasons why I think this movie, you need to see this movie, is because you, you... Do we think it, it, it's a legitimate question. Do we think it because we're white? Do we, do we think it because the director is black? Not in any negative context or prejudiced or racial context because it's not what it is. Just like he is not trying to do it in that, uh, in that regard. It's about identity. It's, it's how you view it because it's you that views it. It's about them in the way that they made it because they made it. But, and while I agree, it again there there is no there is no answer there there and and i and i think that's why the movie should have focused more on trying to find at least some form or fashion of real common ground instead of kind of a mutual retreat to both sides so uh, but at any rate i'm sorry i didn't mean to take away from your
1: thing there so I really wasn't sure what to give this movie, so I'm going to sit on 3.25 as well. I do think people should watch it. I mean, it has great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 93 or 94, you know, Certified Fresh or whatever. So people really like it. But I, too, agree that with Matt that it's not the biting satire, sat- uh, satirical modern masterpiece as everybody's making it out to be. Yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at, at that. I'll just leave it at that, because I definitely want people to watch it. Right
0: on, right on. All right, so I guess that uh, concludes the news, does it not? All right, the news, listen to me. <laughs> the movies, right?
1: That, that is correct.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. All right, cool. Well, then let's see. <laughs> what do we have next? week? Can you tell I'm in Disney mode already? I'm, I'm like, done. Uh let's see here. So next week we have Actress, Only Lovers Left Alive, and Pride. Again, more selections from the Buzzfeed article, twenty four movies you probably missed this year, but should probably see. And again, this was from December of twenty
1: twelve, if you want to go look that up. And so wait, 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 December of twenty twelve?
0: Yeah. I'm... God damn it! Oh my god! (laughs) 2014! Jesus! Oh, guys, I am so sorry. I apologize for being all over the place here. Yes, from 2014. Good lord. So, that should lead us to the spiel. Please, God, make it the spiel. Is it the spiel? Um... Spiel on. Thank God. All right. The music intros you've been listening to, of course, are brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at reverbnation.com and facebook.com, both slash cries of solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS cast, and you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can even follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can also climb aboard the information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your thing. And, of course, you can follow us on, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to the late, great Elaine Stritch, I get to say this. I can't explain chemistry. I really can't. I haven't got a clue what it's all about. It just happens. It's like falling in love. You can't explain why you fall in love or explain why it's this particular person.
1: Oh shit, it's Apocalypse Now happening. (laughs) Okay. Can you hear the helicopters? Nope. Is Mr. Wall there? <laughs> Is Mrs. Wall there? <laughs> <sighs> Are can we clear we, Can we stop the show now?
0: Yes, we're clear. Thanks again for listening to the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com at the SLS cast for Twitter, also on Facebook and you can always subscribe on iTunes.